The Tentative Apologist Podcast. Time to think. In this episode of the Tentative Apologist Podcast, we're going to consider a particular question, one that's very practical and also very complicated. And that's the question of how do you hear the voice of God? What does it mean to hear God speaking to you? Now, I'm not going to attempt or claim that I'm going to be offering a comprehensive, expansive treatment of this very complicated and yet eminently practical question. Instead, what I'm going to be doing is sharing with you a approximately 15-minute talk that I was asked to give on this very question. Uh, the intended audience was a group of young adult Christians, so presumably people in their late teens and early to mid-twenties. But I think that the lessons, the analysis I provide here, insofar as it is applicable, insofar as it is informative or insightful, that it has purchase for a much wider community than just young adults. And so with now, uh, now without further ado, I will share with you my talk on the question of hearing God's voice. Have you ever noticed that Christians often have a funny way of speaking? They'll say things like this, God told me to take this job, or God said that I should become a missionary. Is this simply a pious way of describing our own life choices? We decide what we're going to do, and then we baptize our decisions by saying God told us to do it? Or are those people really hearing God's voice? And if they are, then what exactly are they hearing? When I was a kid, I was mesmerized and slightly terrified by one particular biblical story in 1 Samuel chapter 3. The story begins with a young Samuel in the temple hearing a voice calling out to him in the stillness of the night. Samuel. The first few times he heard that voice, the boy reasonably assumed it was the high priest calling him. Finally, on the third time, that high priest, Eli, clued in, and he realized that Samuel was in fact hearing the voice of God. Imagine that. It certainly would be amazing, and more than a bit terrifying, to hear an audible voice call out your name, offering detailed instructions for the next step in life. But wouldn't it make life easier if we could hear the voice of God? God speaking in an audible voice, giving us directions day by day, step by step? Imagine God is like a satellite navigation system in your car. You just type in your desired destination, marry the right person, or find a successful career, and then you start driving, and God, obligingly, gives you all the directions you need. Turn left at the next light. Proceed 500 meters down the road. Turn to your right, and you will find your future spouse. Easy, right? Needless to say, God doesn't work like that. Even for Samuel, God's audible voice was fleeting. And note that when he first heard it, Samuel didn't even realize it was God. 
So are there other ways we might hear God speak? Something other than a literal voice? Well, as we begin to grapple with that question, let me share with you a true story about my friend, Kent Sparks. Kent is a professor at Eastern University in Philadelphia, and I relay this story in my debate book with John Loftus titled God or Godless. <clears throat> so I want to be clear, this is not a friend of a friend kind of story. This actually happened to Kent Sparks. So here goes. Some years ago, Kent and his wife Cheryl were pursuing an adoption through a crisis pregnancy ministry named House of Ruth. After a couple years with no success, they chose another route and they proceeded to close on a private adoption. They now had a new baby girl, Emily. As soon as the adoption closed, Kent called House of Ruth to let them know that they were no longer looking for a child and so they should be removed from the register for House of Ruth. When nobody in the office answered the phone, Kent left a message. Little did he know that House of Ruth had not answered the phone because their staff were all in a meeting at that very moment, a meeting with a young woman. And it turns out that this young woman had chosen the Sparks family as the family she wanted to adopt her child. Now, how's that for some timing? After waiting two years to adopt with no success, suddenly, on the very morning that Kent called to cancel, it all comes together. So, when the phone rang later on that afternoon and the call display said, House of Ruth, Kent's wife, Cheryl, automatically assumed they were calling just to confirm that they had received the cancellation. Needless to say, she was shocked when instead they said they were calling to offer a child for adoption. After years of waiting, suddenly in the space of a couple days, the Sparks had the possibility of adopting not one, but two children. So what should they do? Overwhelmed by the dilemma, Cheryl called a friend to ask for prayer and guidance. The friend promised to get back to her later that afternoon. And what about Kent? Cheryl decided not to let him know what was going on. Not yet, anyway. Instead, she asked him to come back from the office early so they could talk. And so later, when Kent arrived home from work, he knew something was amiss but he didn't yet know what it was. Next, Cheryl asked him to open the Bible and conduct a family devotion right then and there, still without informing him of the situation. Perplexed, Kent opened his Bible, unsure what to read because he didn't know what any of this was about. He found himself turning to Proverbs and he then chose chapter 3, and then he chose verse 27, and he read, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it, when it is in your power to act. Cheryl was shocked. The relevance of the text seemed undeniable 
the verse seemed to speak straight to her. She realized that she and Kent had the power to act. They could offer the home, the good of a home to a child in need. So was God telling them to adopt the second child? She wasn't yet sure. Moments later, Cheryl's friend called her back with an answer. I have a verse for you, she said. She then quoted Proverbs 3.27, the very same verse. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Astonished, Cheryl decided it was time to let her husband in on her secret, and so she shared the situation with Kent. They had the offer to adopt a second child. She noted that the proverb had seemed to speak into their situation, and she added that her friend had just given her the very same verse. At that point, Kent and Cheryl decided to pray and reflect on all these factors as they sought the Lord's will for their family. After a time of prayer and reflection, they concluded that God was telling them to adopt the second child, and so they welcomed their second daughter, Kara, into the family. Did God speak to Kent and Cheryl? Did God tell them to adopt their second child, Kara? If we want God's directions to be like the satellite navigation system in a car, then this might not satisfy us. But life is just not like that. God's directions tend to come to us not in the whirlwind and not with a megaphone, but rather in the still, small voice, often in the whisper of chance and circumstance. And as I reflect on this story, I agree with Kent and Cheryl. I think God did speak to them. Moreover, I think that we can learn something in this case of how God might speak to us as well. Let's note first that Kent and Cheryl began by turning to Scripture. And there's a good reason, too. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul writes, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God gave us scripture to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, and to train us. In short, he gave us scripture as a way to hear his voice guiding us on the path to becoming like Christ. So how does scripture enable us to hear God's voice? When I was a kid, we would sometimes seek guidance from the Bible by opening it up and planting our finger on some random verse. Whatever that verse said, we would take as God's word for us. You can call that the fortune cookie approach to the Bible. C.S. Lewis offered a very different approach to the Bible. He said that we find God's voice for us in Scripture, quote, not by using it as an encyclopedia, or you might say like a fortune cookie, but rather by steeping ourselves in its tone or temper, and so learning its overall message. 
Lewis here says that we should steep ourselves in Scripture. I love that image. It's a very appropriate image as well for an Englishman to make. We are like a cup of hot water. Scripture is God's teabag. And as we read and reflect on Scripture, as we pray for God's guidance, the process is like that teabag being dropped into the water and steeping in the tea, transforming plain old water into this new beverage. That's what it is like for us to be steeped in Scripture, to be transformed by Scripture. I don't think Kent and Cheryl were treating the Bible like a fortune cookie. Granted, God did point them to a verse, Proverbs 3.27, but his will only became clear to them because they had been steeped in Scripture. And in that way, in that way God's voice begins to become clear to us. Next, we should note that Kent and Cheryl's reflection on Scripture was shaped and informed by their circumstances, their context. I'm reminded here of an old B.C. cartoon. Do you remember B.C., the cartoon caveman drawn by Johnny Hart? Well, there's this one B.C. cartoon, and in the panel, B.C. is praying on his knees, and he says, Lord, or God, if you're up there, give me a sign. And even as he prays, a sign is falling down from the heavens in front of him. It has, uh, it looks like a, a sign from Broadway, and it says, I'm up here. Wow. Now, note that the sign itself is making a vague statement. I mean, I'm up here could mean all sorts of things. What is significant, what is meaningful, is that BC encounters this sign in a particular context. In this case, the context of a petitionary prayer. And it is in that context, God, if you're up there, give me a sign, that the sign provides an answer to that particular question. Yes, God is up there. As B.C. pays attention to the context in which the sign is received, he finds his answer. When we read scripture in light of our particular circumstances, we often find a life application coming into focus, just like that sign. Consider again Kent and Cheryl. They had probably read Proverbs 3.27 many times, and so they knew of a general call to help those in need. But this case was different. When Cheryl prayed for guidance here, that verse crashed down from heaven like a marquee sign from Broadway. Suddenly, the general biblical principle to help those in need, which we see in Proverbs 3.27, turned in her context into the specific life application, adopt this child. God had spoken. So, we steep ourselves in scripture, we pay attention to our context, and finally, we should note that God speaks to us personally by speaking through other people. This is not an individualistic affair. To discern God's will and word for us, we need to listen to his words coming through other people. You know, probably 20 years ago, a friend came to me and, and he said to me that he was no longer going to this particular church. And I, I asked him why. 
And his response was, well, I don't get anything out of the worship. And I said to my friend, worship isn't about getting, it's about giving. And that was it. I forgot about that. Probably a year later, he mentioned to me that when I had said that in that moment, he took that as God speaking to him and it cut him to the bone. And he felt deeply convicted about his consumeristic attitude toward church. To be honest, I had forgotten the entire exchange, and I certainly had no conception in the moment that God was speaking to me, uh, speaking through me. But as I look back, I can see that, yes, my friend was heeding God's voice speaking through other people. And that is what Kent and Cheryl did as well. Note that Cheryl did not attempt her process of discernment on her own. She recognized that one hears God's voice by becoming steeped in Scripture, by studying one's circumstances, and by seeking the reflection, the insight, the wisdom of others. And so she asked a trusted friend for advice, and she invited her husband to pray and read Scripture with her. Together, Kent and Cheryl recognized in the words of Proverbs 12.15 that fools are headstrong and do what they like, but wise people take advice. So to conclude, how do we hear God's voice? One thing is clear, we will probably not hear an audible voice very often, if ever. I certainly never have. We definitely don't have a divine satellite navigation system. Instead, in his wisdom, God gave us something far better. He gave us his scripture to be read in our life circumstances, informed and guided by the wisdom of his people. So when you want to hear God's voice, don't treat the Bible like a fortune cookie. Read and reflect on it daily. As C.S. Lewis said, steep yourselves in its tone or temper so that you may learn its overall message. Next, when you seek to apply scripture to your life, be attuned to those life circumstances so that you can see how God may be speaking to you through circumstance. Finally, seek out the wisdom of family and friends as you aim to discern God's voice in scripture and circumstance for you. Just as Samuel found God's voice through the wise guidance of Eli, and just as Kent and Cheryl found God's voice through the wise guidance of their friends and each other, so we are invited to find God's voice through the insights of those we know and love. Remember, God speaks to us personally by speaking through other persons. Well, this may seem like we've covered a lot, so let me summarize it all with a single sentence in conclusion. We can begin to hear God's voice as we read Scripture, reflect on our experience, and receive the wisdom of others. Well, that's it for this episode of the Tentative Apologist podcast. For more episodes of the podcast, you can visit us online at randallrouser.com.